everybody, welcome to our episode today of Remember the Odds. I'm Courtney. And this is Thomas. Thomas is here. Yay. We're going to talk everything from the 2000s, from The Parent Trap to Freaky Friday. Oh, that's a good one, right? The Parent Trap. Yeah, and Freaky Friday. That's a that's like one of those two-for-one package deals you get at Walmart. It is. Just yep. a paired set. And then I was going to say from your bootleg X-Men 2 DVD, which I did, <laughs> the bootleg to X-Men 2, and then your stinky, filthy DDR2 mat that you bought that was great for about a month, and then you lost it, and it's probably still at my parents' house. Yeah. I remember though I had one. It there were if you had a DDR mat, you were in serious danger of slipping all over the place. Yes, yeah. those were not those were not made for socks. No. It was a slipping and a sliding, but I remember playing that intensely for about a month. I loved DDR when I was a kid. And what a perfect crossover because who plays DDR the best in this movie we're going to talk about today? Well, they have like a, a, a Canadian ninja DDR. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's not really DDR. But it might as well be DDR. It might as well be DDR. Ninja DR. Ninja DR. Yeah. And we're at the end of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl series. Yes. And this was the proposed project you pitched. You organized. You did an amazing job. Thank you. And thank you. Open my eyes. I've seen some fantastic movies I've never seen before. And I've seen some movies that I... Um, <laughs> What's wrong? Murder what? bike. What? what? Murder bikes. <laughs> Murder bikes. Murder bikes. Um, but we end up with the conclusion with maybe my favorite movie, one of my favorite movies of all time, and my favorite novels, because I don't read a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> you should still read Sandman. You still have my copies of Sandman. I will, you should read you, them. You know what? I'm going to read Sandman. I'm very excited because about it now. you would love the first one. The first yes. one is right up your alley. I know. Yeah. But our theme of the episode is not Sandman today. No. What is the theme of our episode today? Drum roll, please. Da, 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 da. Today we are talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. This is Scott Pilgrim's precious little life. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? What was all that about? If we're gonna date, you may have to defeat my seventy Alexis. If seventy Alex boyfriend, seventy Alexis, yes. I'm talking to you, Scott Pilgrim. And I have to defeat your seventy Alexis, pretty much. Zap, how's life? He seems nice. the girl of your dreams and you have to let her know step up your game scott break out the l word lesbian the other l word lesbians yeah you know the steven stills i love steven stills i mean i love all of them uh, I wish, I wish that, I mean, the movie came out, obviously, was written before this revelation, but I, I, I wish Stephen Stills was gay in the movie. Right, right, because he, he, he has um, a gay love interest in the novels. Yes, he does. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I mean, Wallace Wells is um, a fantastic and legendary gay icon. <laughs> but Stephen Stills, Stephen Stills, man, what a what a legend! I love Stephen Stills, and I remembered how much I loved him from that scene when Crash and the boys started playing. I'm so sad, so very sad. Oh no, not that one. It's the "We Hate You, Please Die." Yeah. And he starts freaking out, but nobody can hear him, so they just do the closed captioning, and I was just like, I relate to this so much. That's beautiful. Yeah. Steven Stills, what a, I also... So today we're going to be talking about Scott Pilgrim vs. the World as the conclusion to the Manic Pixie Dream Girl series, but there is so much to unpack here, mm-hmm. and we have to admit we're going to gonna gush a little bit, because... We've both loved this movie. We're a little gushy today. I love this franchise. We love the soundtrack. Yes. I'm staring at the vinyl I have for the soundtrack right of now. Course you I was are. playing it before the recording. I mean, it was beautiful. I just sat here all week reading the books and playing the album like nonstop. Yeah. It worked way too well. Although I did take some breaks for um a little Smashing Pumpkins because Brian Lee O'Malley is a huge Smashing Pumpkins fan. One of the books is named after um the Infinite Sadness, and then Scott Pilgrim wears SP, Scott Pilgrim, but also Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, I didn't know that. You had mentioned to me that Smashing Pumpkins was an influence, but I didn't really think about the SP thing at all. Yeah, it's just a shame, because um, I do like the Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, Billy Corgan is a crazy Alex Jones conspiracy theory nut and needs to get help. Mm-hmm. that's that's i'll leave it at that yeah, yeah i'm not really i i feel like based on like my interest in like the bands surrounding that i i feel like i should like them more than i actually do like like joe got me into sonic youth and i love the pixies but there's something about the smashing pumpkins i just can't get into sorry guys nah, sorry. don't worry there's yeah it's all subjective no one's judging you yeah except wallace he's judging you always that's fine he can judge he's allowed to judge one of my favorite things about the book is just having more wallace yeah there's so much wallace i love wallace so much i wish um i mean i think my uh like before we like really really get into it this is just like a small complaint that i have and it has nothing to do with like this is just like what was possible it's just that like the people that they get for the exes are so funny and they clearly love doing it so much. I just wish that we had more time with them. I know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, we were thinking about mm-hmm. it. We talked about it. Because the, the interesting thing about this movie is that it was to kind of jump a little bit into the factoid. The Ryan Lee O'Malley releases the first book in 2004. And before it's even released, they have a deal with Universal Pictures to make this movie. Do, 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 do. Do, do. So, like, this was in the works for a long time, but, like, and I think this is one of the reasons we're going to talk about it as a part of the conclusion of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl series. That was the common thing at that time. Like, this was the, you know, like you had mentioned before, Courtney, this is like the peak of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Right. And also, this is when we've transcended emo culture and it has turned into hipster culture. This is, I think, between 500 Days of Summer and Scott Pilgrim. This is when we see all those little emo kids suddenly being old enough to enter 21 and up clubs. 
Yeah. Because in the movie they refer to hipsters a lot, but they actually just all kind of look like grown-up emo kids. And also, mm -hmm. 2010 hipsters have just as much apathy as emo kids. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of conversation, a lot of talk. And I think, interestingly, a night will have really cool parallel to talk about the evolution of these characters from like both the book perspective and then the movie being written over this like span of like six years mm -hmm. where the manic pixie dream girl trope kind of runs its course becomes dried out and but then also an evolution and an evolution of character and where like how somehow this movie came out at like this weird intersection like you said mm -hmm. like you know the emo kids were now hipsters but there was still this like rejection of hipster culture like right. it wasn't cool to be called hipster and that could be one of the comments like there's so many things it's like this weird like like the manic pixie dream girl trope dies hipster culture has not and nerd culture especially has not completely risen yet so it's like this unfortunate timing where this movie came out during a dip yeah where like nerd pop culture was not big enough but the manic pixie dream girl romance was not popular anymore mm -hmm. and you see that in like the ticket sales because this movie did not do good at all it's really tragic because it is an amazing movie i think had it just come out literally two years later yeah two years two later two years later and it would be the biggest hit because think about two years later the avengers comes out the avengers comes out um like all of a sudden comic-con is the most impossible thing to get into it only as a movie it would have only worked like you said two years later because i think any time after that it would have worked better as a you know dare i say it a netflix series. yeah we, we talked about this on tuesday when we went to the beach uh we went to the beach for a nice little foggy day on tuesday social distance at the yes. beach we wore masks yeah and we actually moved further away from a gigantic family yeah, like, we were saying how this would honestly be great as a Netflix series, or the fact that streaming shows and streaming content has changed so much since 2010. You know, you've got shows with these huge actors, like Donald Glover's Atlanta or Westworld, yeah. where now companies can just say, like, you're not getting another season next year, we have to wait. So there's so many different ways that people can do things now. I think that's what would have made this really yeah. just like the new tiger king if yeah. hypothetical let's say hypothetical they made this a series keep the same cast because i can't see anyone else no no definitely not i can't picture could you picture scott pilgrim being played by anybody else not really no not really not at all yeah. but it's tough because they would all like all these everyone in this movie now has like a gigantic career it would be like nearly oh they all came back for, well not all of them but most of them came back for the reunion thing right. we're going to talk about that yes. that was beautiful yes. and today is the 10th anniversary of the movie's Yay! release in theaters i saw this movie in theaters day of like today 10 years ago yeah i think when we all went to go see it it had already been the second time that you saw it yeah i was like i was like the preacher i was like guys we need to see this movie i love I saw the trailer for this movie in like the spring of 2010 and was like, what the fuck is this? Right. And it wasn't until I worked at the library and while at the library, I saw the like the graphic novel. I was like, I saw the book in the return cart and I'm like, wait, isn't this a movie? 
And then I look it up. I'm like, okay, it's a movie. So I decided to read the first book and I was hooked. Mm -hmm. And I read, I read all the books up until this, because the sixth one was not released yet. It came out actually after the movie. So like by this point, like I was hooked and unfortunately it just did not do well. That's why I was preaching. I'm like, guys, we need to see this movie again and again and again and again. So I think at the time that you had proposed this movie to me, I'm not going to lie. I, I think that also advertising was a huge misstep for this movie. Yes. Because the trailer, first of all, I never saw the trailer. You were the first person who told me about this movie. I never saw any yeah. advertisement for this movie. And considering, like, how big of a cast it was, how sort of, like, unctuous and juicy the style is, there was nothing for it. And then even if you, I think we went to a movie theater after I saw the movie, I saw one poster for it, and it just shows Michael Sarah playing the guitar in a red background. So you've got nothing to go off of it. That's actually, like, my least favorite poster for this movie. Right, exactly. It gives you nothing. It doesn't show you, like, if they just showed him, like, playing the guitar and then, like, the League of Seven Evil Exes looking angry at him, I'd be like, ooh, what's going on here? Obviously, he has to fight these people, but, like, a video game? Yeah. I don't think so. Maybe? Maybe it is, like, a video yeah. game. So, and at this point, I had already gotten Michael, Michael Sarah fatigue. Yeah. So, when you told me to go see this movie and you were like, we're going to go see this movie. We're going to do this thing. I was like, I really am tired of Michael Sarah. And then actually I ended up sort of like being reinvigorated and being like, this is the most perfect character for Michael Sarah to play. Oh yeah. yeah. This is also the movie where I fall in love with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. <laughs> I fall in love with her. Great. Who's dating the also... love of my life. You and McGregor. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love, I love everyone in this movie. I love, um, <laughs> I love Kieran Culkin. Kieran Culkin is so good in this movie. I mean, yeah, I don't think you can find another character in a movie like Wallace Wells. I think that there are plenty of movies that have the gay best friend trope, but Wallace Wells plays this character. I mean, like this character, Wallace Wells is just so an actual person like he does not abide by any of those tropes yeah, yeah. and that's an interesting point of conversation because um he was so popular in the movie mm -hmm. that when they did a color a colored version of the graphic novels he gets his own cover that's amazing yeah they did the re-release in color and he had his he had a whole cover to himself mm -hmm. i love wallace and like you know, it's one of the first times I think in a movie, I don't want to say objectively speaking, but like for me, and also I can't speak on behalf of being a gay man, but I can give my perspective of the the scene and how I felt about, you know, characters. Mm -hmm. Wallace is a much more like, it's like the selling point is not that he's gay. He's not the mystical gay friend that helps, you know, cause that's how a gay character would normally be. It'd be like the offshoot, like side character, you know, who's like, they fulfill some purpose, almost kind of like the Manic Pixie Dream Girl or a trope like that, yeah. that they're only there yeah, exactly. to aid the main, they're only there to aid the main protagonist, whereas Wallace, he's in control of the protagonist's destiny. Right, and also, there are multiple times where he's not supportive of no. the protagonist, and we actually kind of need him to do that, because without Wallace Wells and without Stacy Pilgrim, 
Oh, Scott's sister, the great. Yes. I love her. Um, who I think even at the time I was like, I think I'm the most like her in our group of friends. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> I just show up to remind people about things they should not do. I um I took pictures while I was reading the graphic novel because there are so many lines I love. Wallace says this beautiful moment in the graphic novel. Scott's kind of proud of himself at a moment and he goes, Oh, my mom said this. And Wallace says, all seriousness, he's like, you listen to me. I'm the one that tells you what your mom says, okay? <laughs> he's, and yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah, without him and without Stacy, um, I think we would have a much harder time seeing Scott's flaws. Oh, yeah. Which I think, I know that, like, I think it might have been harder for you to see Scott's flaws when we saw, these, saw this movie. Oh, no, when I was 19... Yeah. I was not, and this is the also the personal evolution of me watching this film, reading these mm -hmm. books, and growing up. 19-year-old Tom, first relationship, of love with, in love with the idea of love, not aware of the trials, tribulations, and everything that goes on. Uh, love Scott Pilgrim, idolized Scott Pilgrim, wanted to be Scott Pilgrim. Right. At the end of the decade, 2020, rereading Scott Pilgrim, rewatching Scott Pilgrim, goes, okay. Um, he's a very flawed character. He's kind of an asshole. Yeah. He's dumb. And I've definitely been Scott, but not in a good way. Right, right. And I think that's the thing is like, as a viewer, we want to just root for the protagonist. That's the person we're supposed to see. It's literally called Scott Pilgrim versus the world. So yes. you already automatically are want to be on his side because he's positioned to be the underdog. But with Wallace and Stacey's help, you see that he's actually a very flawed character and he does very flawed things. Yeah, and it's, there's this kind of thing I realized thinking about it, because he's not, like, the obviously the graphic novel in the movie, the evil ex-boyfriends, like, the main plot for anyone who's not yeah, seen it. We should, we should discuss the main plot very quickly, uh, like, the way you did for me for 500 Days of Summer. Why don't you just briefly discuss the plot of yeah. Scott Pilgrim vs. Okay. the World? Once upon a time, in a magical land called Canada, there was Scott Pilgrim. In the graphic novel, he's 23. In the movie, he's 22. But ultimately, 22-year-old Scott Pilgrim is a slacker. He has a band, and he lives with his gay roommate, Wallace, who shares a bed. Uh, he finds love with his... <laughs> well, okay, sorry. Let me back that up again. Um, Scott Pilgrim is about a guy overcoming his own issues, falls in love with a woman named Ramona Flowers, but in order to gain her love, he must defeat her seven evil ex-boyfriends, the League of Ex-Boyfriends. Exes. That is the log line, yeah. The exes. Yeah, sorry, exes, not ex-boyfriends, exes. That is the thing that they say throughout the movie. It's not ex-boyfriends, it's exes. Yeah, seven evil exes. Yeah. But meanwhile, he also had just started a relationship with a high schooler. A 17-year-old Chinese-Canadian student named Knives Chow. Knives Chow is the best. There's really... Oh, she's the yeah. best. There's nothing else that we can say about it other than Knives Chow is the best. Yes. Um, for context, this movie came out literally today, August 13th, 2010. Happy anniversary, Scott Pilgrim. Written, produced, and directed by Edgar Wright. And alongside with Brian E. O'Malley, the 
he's the he's a Korean Canadian cartoonist. Started working for what's the name? Fuck, why can't I remember the name of the company? Uh Oni Press. Okay. Oni Press, yes. He works for Oni Press. This is his first like big launch. He's done a few things before this, but like he wrote this kind of based on his own life experiences. Mm -hmm. He too also fell in love with an American. But I won't say that he himself is Scott Pilgrim because he took a lot of influence for Scott Pilgrim from um, anime. Mm -hmm. Like, very much like Goku. He's kind of dumb like Goku. Right. Like, I read he very specifically mentions the, you know, the flawed, you know, comedic nature of a dumb character like Goku. Right. And it suits well. It suits well, not only because, like, it's funny, but, like, in reality, a young guy, I mean, I'll be I'll say myself, a young adolescent guy trying to do their best, but not socially aware, mm-hmm. can sometimes leave a lot of damage unintentionally because you're not aware of what you're doing and you need to grow up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like, um, so I feel like we saw the movie in like two very different contexts, the same way that you and I saw 500 Days of Summer in very different contexts. And you had told me, they're like, oh, I'm not going to like this protagonist. And I was like, that's okay, because I don't think I'm going to like him much more either. And then this one's sort of a little bit of the reverse. I still love this movie. I don't think that, like, Scott... Scott is not Orlando Baylor. No, he's no. not. I love... No, I love yeah. this movie, and I do love Scott. Right. I think the one of the beautiful things about this movie and this book is this. there's this character that has to learn to accept who he is including all the flaws mm-hmm. because that's when he's at his worst mm-hmm. and i think obviously this is one of the natures of the graphic novels does you can has more time to really dive into he is at his worst when he runs away from his flaws right when he ignores his issues when he ignores the bad things he's done that creates a lack of accountability for what can happen right and it's and it's not until he fully embraces who he is flaws and all that he is able to do right by the people he's wronged by the people he cares about by the people he loves and i think that actually that all is what went wrong with 500 days of summer it's kind Mm. of a similar concept like the leads are going through a very similar thing but the thing is i think they just focused on like the charm and the twee of joseph gordon levitt and zoe duchanel to get the movie made i think yeah. Had that movie had any actor and actress with a little bit more bite to their performance, I think it'd be a little bit harder to root for them. Scott Pilgrim yeah. does cover a very similar uh, similar story where he, at the, at the beginning of the story, is somebody who is very down on himself and looks for these exterior things to make him feel better about himself, whether it's his band or relationships or compliments from other people but then he realizes that like these things are not going to make him a better suitor to love somebody else and yeah. it's actually though that lack of self-confidence that makes him hurt other people and the people around him oh yeah no that is and that the movie does do a good job i'll say after reading graphic novels the movie is Pretty much the first act of the movie is almost 100% the first book. Right. And I think you and I even mentioned this. Ramona Flowers in the movie is just Ramona Flowers from book one. Right. Exactly. Like she she does go through change and she does go, but she's not nearly as fleshed out 
as she is in the graphic novel, as with everybody, but, you know. Considering how much they had to put into the movie, how much they had to stuff into it, they do a great job with the characters. They were working off of the first, uh, the first graphic novel. That is the most, like, manic pixie dream girl-esque that Ramona is. And I think my one complaint about the movie, which is easily solved by the rest of the graphic novels, is you mostly see Scott pursuing her. She doesn't really show that much interest in him, and she's, like, very cool and almost detached and very aloof from everything happening around her. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, an interesting thing is, with the graphic novels at least, as Brian Lee O'Malley was writing them, he started to realize by the third book, the the fans' response was very negative towards Ramona. Right. And that's an interesting parallel to when these books were coming out. You know, like we said, like the first book comes out, 2004, it's the peak of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Like that's when these movies were popular. Right. That trope was very in demand. And so much so, like I said, like Universal already, they already wanted to make a movie. Yeah, that year, both Garden State and Eternal Sunshine come out. Yeah. yeah. So, but as the books come out, and by the time we get to the third and fourth book, the fans, this trope is kind of dying, and they're like, Ramona's cold, you know, she's not really, you know, we don't like her, and that was kind of, he took issue with that, and I think he kind of internalized and learned to draw out more of her, because I remember he even saying, he's like, I love Ramona. Mm -hmm. He goes, I need to do better in telling her story to get people to also love her because she is and i i will defend Ram- i will defend ramona <laughs> so ramona in the books we see more of her character and not only that her character but her flaws like these are two very flawed individuals very similar to eternal sunshine we see we start to see where they both go wrong and the things they've done to wrong not only each other but the people in their own past mm-hmm. I mean, they're called the League of Evil Exes. Right. And we slowly, in the movie, touches on it, but you really learn, like, just why they're the League of Evil Exes. Like, are they all really evil? And there's some beautiful moments that, like, hit hard. Like, and I don't think at 19 I fully grasped it because I had not been in these sorts of relationships Mm -hmm. yet. But, like, there are moments that are real deep and really hit, like, personal levels where, like, Ramona will say something, they'll get into a fight, I'll be like, damn that that's that's a real like i remember that yeah <laughs> I, like i know what that that i i think she says like she says it in the movie and it's very it hits hard in the movie but it's even more so in the book i think she says they, they get into a fight and she's like you know what you're just another evil ex waiting to happen and i'm like damn right right there's this acknowledgement of the flaws of these characters and their development. And the movie does it pretty well, but like for Ramona's character in particular, you see a lot more of that in the books. And even so like, cause the book, the, the last book was written and completed after the movie was released. So those endings are drastically different. See that I didn't know. Yeah. Cause when, when we did go see it, um, Joe started buying, uh, the, the the graphic novels and he would read it at my dorm and yeah. what we would do is like he'd read one and then when he finished reading it I would read one but then he would laugh so hard at book number two that he'd be like wait I have to tell you this thing it's so funny wait until you get to this part 
but then he'd be like, oh wait, but you're gonna get to it anyway. So he'd be explaining like graphic novel number two to me while I was trying to read number one because he just yeah. loved it so much. Like he thought it was really funny too. Oh, number two was very funny. Yeah. I think my favorite is number four. Okay. The one with Roxy. Roxy. Yeah, that one was my favorite by mm -hmm. far. And I think that's because even like Brian Lee O'Malley, by the time he gets to the last one, he's kind of tired of the of the trope and the story. And he's just trying to, you know, he's completing his story. Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting evolution to see where it begins and ends in relation to the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. And um, I talked a lot about, how do we want to jump into this? Do we want to talk about specific parts of the movie? Yeah, I think we can talk about um, like some moments of the movie and like things that we liked, things that we didn't like. Um, I do yeah. want to say that I, I think this is when I also started to realize that this was developing into a trope because suddenly, because Eternal Sunshine was my favorite movie, people started sending me things about how Ramona is exactly like Clementine, but the biggest thing would always be that they both changed their hair frequently. Yeah. And that's how you know that we've reached this thing. This thing has morphed into something that people are only getting based on like the most shallow of qualities because it's like, yeah, these are two characters who very distinctly have paths and character traits one more so than the other just based on like their time in the movie and what they can fit in the movie obviously ramona has a lot more in the graphic novels yes but the moment that i kept getting these things and they're like well they both changed their hair i'm like oh something's happening here yeah, yeah that's true yeah. see um that was the day and age where a whole tumblr page be dedicated to different hairs yes yeah yeah. But yeah, so let's get into the movie a little bit. Let's talk about the movie. Yeah, directed by Edgar Wright. Yeah, who was deliberately picked because of his work with us with uh, Shaun of the Dead. I was going to say, like, nobody else could have done this movie yeah. the way it is. Shaun of the Dead and Spaced. Right. Which he says, working out Scott Pilgrim is like doing season three of Spaced with a huge budget. Right. And I have to give a lot of love and appreciation for most of this movie being done practically. Yeah. Like, even the opening scene where, like, the band starts to play and the, the, the living room elongates, that's all practically done. Okay, let's start with Launchpad McQuack. Uh, that's not the actual title of this. We are One, two, three, and i have to give a shout out i didn't realize this until i was doing research that he had a lot of assistance shooting this movie with from uh quentin tarantino oh really yeah he quentin tarantino watched an early cut loved it and helped him kind of shoot a lot of the action scenes and the opening scene well that's what, i love that opening scene so much because it just shows you like this is gonna be 
such a loving movie the way that they go into that first scene like this is something that yeah. they created it's like their baby the way that they elongate the room to kind of express how like big and boisterous the music is that sex babam is playing and then the little like hand animation touches for the logo scott pilgrim versus the world like you can tell you're in for something fun you're in for something precious and yeah. something unlike anything else that really takes advantage of just like the meaty like juicy pop culture references that they put into it oh yeah, yeah. But, like, what also was weird, because we live in a day and age now where pop culture has almost become its own trope and it's on its own course. Right. You know, we make fun of things like Big Bang Theory. That's like Bazinga, Star Trek reference. Right, exactly. Star Wars. Women can't be nerds, but women can be nerds. Like, that's that's the point where we're at. <laughs> that show oh, man, I... is uh, irresponsible, to quote the office. It's not even... Yeah, it's... Uh, quick side note, um, I'm not hating on you if you like Big Bang Theory, because I know a lot of people who do, but uh, I will tell you that the Big Bang Theory's biggest issue I have with it is it's not it's not a show about nerds, it's a show making fun of the caricature of nerds. Yeah. Like, it's, it's really, like, seventh wall breaking, like, these aren't nerds. These are caricatures of nerds that we're laughing at. Yeah, and I think also um, it, it sort of gives older people a chance to understand what younger people are talking about. Yeah. Because my parents really loved the uh, loved the Big Bang Theory. Uh, and when I told them I was, like, really, really getting into Doctor Who, they were like, oh, yeah, Sheldon likes Doctor Who. Or they talk about Doctor Who on that show. Yeah. So I think it was sort of this weird bridge... Yeah. yeah, there's, there's, uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of no. that show. We, um, we could write an essay about it. But when you want, like, rewatching Scott Pilgrim and even reading the books, it's not, it, it's, it's got the references and like it's, it's about kids who love nerdy things, but it is not as full of references as you as we would think. Right, it's more nuanced, yeah. and it doesn't feel as forced. It's not like, like you said, just throwing this reference in there to throw it in there. It's things that make sense more in, like, its reality, in, in a weird way, like the reality of that pop culture thing. Yeah. Like, the way that uh, every time they introduce a character, and they give the little stat bar. Yeah, yeah. And they tell you the facts about it, or, like, the little sound effects. The P-bar. Uh, the P-bar is a big one, yeah. Uh, little little touches like that is what makes a difference. And also the fact that um, when Scott defeats an ex, they burst into coins. Yeah, they burst into yeah. coins. Another thing that I love, and the movie does this brilliantly, both the movie and the books do this really well, is they really capture Toronto. And not just, yeah. like, beautiful Toronto, but, like, Cold. Cold, young, you know, twenty something year old shitty apartment Toronto. Like Right. Like the for the for the graphic novel he used photo references from his friend's apartments and the, the one where Scott and Wallace live, that photo reference that he used is the photo mm -hmm. is actually the location they shot in the movie. Wait, what? He used photo references, like of right. real places in Toronto. Right. So the photo reference he used for Scott and Wallace's actual apartment, that like basement apartment, uh -huh. they shot at the real location. Oh, 
Okay, okay. I Sorry, I thought you were leading into more, so I was, like, waiting, and then I was like, oh, wait, that is the big announcement. Sorry, sorry, yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. No, it's fine. Um, but I was also thinking about, I was watching Cinema Wins. I watched both CinemaSins and Cinema Wins okay. for this movie, and even the CinemaSins, first of all, the, the narrator was like, man, I love this movie too much. I got to take a sin off for that, this thing here, that thing there. But what Cinema Wins brought my attention to that is just so subtle, but actually really, really important, is that none of the apartments are sort of, like, gender-specific. No, yeah. Yeah, like, Knives is a 17-year-old girl, but her room isn't, like, pink and filled with stuffed animals. And, like, Ramona's apartment is really quite bare, except for her tea cabinet, which is one of my favorite moments because... That, that's my cabinet yeah yeah that's interesting teenage. i didn't think about it like that but it makes sense right yeah yeah wow so i i think you're right like uh you know obviously in one way you notice that these apartments feel very real and they feel very authentic because of your knowledge of the graphic novels but also it's something that other people are picking up on in different ways too yeah there's so many things as well about them <laughs> Um, I love also just Edgar Wright's use of transitions in this movie. Oh, yeah. The way that Scott could be answering a question to his right, and then Stephen Stills will answer him to his left yeah. in a different location. And the same thing with Knives. I think that she like perks her head up the exact same way from one position, like one scene to the next, and they're in a completely different location. Oh, yeah, it really captures that exaggerated, expressive use that they have in the comics. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's done so well in this movie that it just kind of accentuates. And it, it's it's none of it's pointless. Like, it's, some people can just easily yeah. take away from it. Like, oh, it's just a wacky, crazy movie. But everything exaggerated is done on some level to heighten. Like, like uh, let's talk about some of the evil exes. Because I'm going to talk about Todd. Yes. Todd. Yes, Todd. He's the third <laughs> evil ex, and he's the vegan. Yes. And his character was created specifically when Brian Lee O'Malley was talking about how he had friends that were vegan, and they were telling him things that were just so absurd. Like, people were saying, like, oh, being vegan can help cure illnesses. And he's like... Right. Like, not this shit on being vegan. Um, fun fact, I cooked a vegan burger last night to see if I'd like it. Mm-hmm. Uh... The Impossible Burger tastes amazing. I'm not going to lie about that. It tastes phenomenal, but I am allergic to it. Soy. God damn it. Oh. Mm-hmm. I, I've had the Beyond Burger. I did not like it. Um, That's the one I cooked last night. Wait, is Beyond or Impossible? Are they two different ones? They are two different ones. The Impossible Burger is the more popular one. They have that at okay. like Bear Burger, Burger King's Whopper. Right. That's the Impossible Whopper. Bear Burger is the other popular one, and that one specifically has no gluten. The Beyond Burger? The Beyond Burger, yeah. Yeah. It has no gluten and no soy. I had that one. I do not like it because it feels like I'm eating something that I definitely know is not meat. I'd rather eat something that I know is not meat but looks like another thing. Like, I'd rather have a black black bean burger or a portobello mushroom burger, something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I do love vegan food when it's made for me from a, a restaurant. Yeah. Um, there's this restaurant in Soho that Alyssa and I used to go to called Wild Ginger, and it was all vegan Asian food. And oh, wow. Like, that was really good. I love that place. 
So I made the Beyond Burger, and mm. fun fact, I'm not allergic to it, but I didn't like it. It tasted like burnt peas. Okay, but the Impossible Burger, you were allergic to? I'm allergic to, but it tastes great. Okay, <laughs> of course. That isn't, but like, yeah. funny like that. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, Todd, you know, Todd was born in the midst of the beginning of vegan hype, and it was weird and uncomfortable. I, I respect the reason for not eating meat now as, like, an environmental effort. I think then we need to look at, like, why that is the way it is, like, the whole food industry. But at this time, that wasn't the reason why people were going vegan. They were going vegan because they were better than you. Or they wanted to show that, like, look at me, I'm surviving without your, your burgers and your ribs and pulled pork and brisket. And they're just saying these unreasonable things. Oh, yeah. And, uh, that was the yeah. thing. It, it often yeah. tied in with holistics. Yeah. And, all, you know, anything that sells essential oils is to be looked at through a critical lens. Because I remember a lot of really weird, and I don't think this is the case anymore. Like, I don't want to say 100%, but, like, there was definitely an era in which people... Like they did the same thing with gluten free. There was literally like a few years where yeah. people would be like, "Not eating gluten will clear your mind and make you a smarter person." It's like, or it was like a fitness thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's like none of this is true. <laughs> like, right, right. Yeah. So you know, at this time, veganity was this trend. It, it was just this thing that was happening, and I have seen people be vegan and shove it down my throat but then also they're like oh i'm just gonna treat myself or i'm just gonna treat myself it's just a little treat and then they're they end up being very hypocritical because they're just they're just eating meat or they eat french fries or like fried things that are just as fattening because the whole thing's fried oh and oreos are vegan right exactly things like fruit roll-ups are vegan and it's like that's not that's still not good for you though not good for you nor is it that great for the environment um Todd is what got my mom into Scott Pilgrim. That's awesome. I love this. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, at the time when we were getting pretty, like, tired of the whole vegan trend, I told my mom, oh, there's this character in this movie, and he gets stopped by the vegan police, and she was like, oh, I gotta see that." The vegan police. (laughs) The vegan police. So, I'm going to go down the list of the Mm -hmm. evil axes. Yes. We start off with Matthew Patel. I love Matthew Patel. Second evil ex is um, Lucas Lee. Lucas Lee, portrayed by the great Chris Evans. He's this pretty okay skateboarder. And now he's this pretty okay actor. Yeah. Then we had, like I said, Todd, played by Brandon Routh. That's two. I think about that. Two imposing. Like, to play ex-boyfriends, those are some imposing figures. They quite literally were Superman and Captain America. Right. Right. And then you've got... Roxy. Um, Roxy, her. Her. Lesbians. From those who watch Arrested Development. <laughs> um, then we have the Katinagi twins. Mm-hmm. And then the main honcho himself, Gideon. Am I missing one? No, you're good. Okay. 
Gideon yeah. Graves. Yes. Gideon Graves, who deliberately, like, you know, like, what a great performance from Jason Schwartzman. Jesus Christ. I mean, everyone's fantastic. So what I was going to say about your comment about the sort of um, accentuated emotions in the comic books, I think that all of the actors in this movie really play that up, and they play it up so authentically because they all love this story so much. They were all so in love with the project and working with each other, and I think that really shows in the movie. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, Jason Schwartzman clearly, like, loved being the bad guy in this movie. Oh, he had so much fun. Do you know how yeah. long it took me to put the list together? Like, two hours! Two hours! <laughs> you made me swallow my gum! Yeah. It's gonna be in my digestive tract for seven years! They definitely, I did read that for the movie, they actually had to reshoot some things because he didn't come off as slimy at first. And the oh, audience, really? the audience didn't necessarily have a sense of why to hate him. So they mm -hmm. added things back in to make him more hateable. Oh, like the fingers comment? Yeah. Which I will say, Gideon Graves in the movie, Jason Schwartzman does an amazing job. Perfect villain. Mm -hmm. The comic book the, the big difference is he's a lot creepier and weirder and more disgusting in the graphic novel. He's like yes. building a, and it, what I love is that maybe this is a conversation to have in parallel to the manic mm -hmm. pixie dream girl, the issue with the male protagonist or the male character. Cause Scott is a very flawed character. He's aloof. He's not being held accountable at the beginning of the series, but in order, and just like in the movie, in order to beat the enemy, he has to gain self-respect and accountability. He has to, understand what he's done and try to do better and right by the people around him. Same in the graphic novel. And there's this brilliant moment because Gideon Gray is kind of like the polar opposite of that. He is a, he's kind of taken rejection from women. He could be embodied as like the modern day incel. If you gave incels any sort of power, which good, right. good thing we don't give incels power. Um, we try our best. Yeah. So Gideon Graves is creating this like, cryogenic chamber of all the girls who rejected him yep and he even like when because in the books uh, ramona leaves and she's not captured by gideon unlike in the movie where she mm -hmm. goes back to gideon she just disappears and gideon graves is like well she left you why don't you join the league like he's offering an out like he's offering that anger he's allowing he's giving scott the opportunity to kind of thrive in that anger and be like, yeah, right. fuck your ex, join my league, and whatever. And Scott says no, because by this point, he is he's already defeated Mega Scott. He's already Mega felt Scott. accountable for himself, seen the flaws in his ways, made amends with the people he's hurt, especially Kim, who I love mm -hmm. Kim. Kim, I mean, Allison, Allison Pill is amazing in the movie, but I... She captures her posture so perfectly oh, yeah. everything i want to i want yeah. i want a spin-off of her story what's she doing now what is yeah. kim pine doing now that's what i want yeah kim pine's great and then so scott you know he gives scott this opportunity like join my league and in real life that's a very like we see that type of behavior online like these incel communities like your girl rejected you, you know, you don't have a girlfriend, join this community, join, um, be angry. And Scott says, uh, no. Also, I would add that, like, I've actually had scenarios where, um, 
how do I describe this? Guys I either rejected or broke up with got in a group and talked about how terrible my boyfriend was at a certain time in my life, and I was mad. Yeah. I was very mad. Yeah, and it's this thing about guys, not all guys, but in a situation like the League of Evil Exes or experiences that I've actually had, is that they think that they have any right to say anything or control your love life at all because they haven't worked out their own misery within themselves. Exactly, and I think that's what's brilliant about Gideon. He literally represents that power-hungry male figure who's never worked out his issues because he because mm-hmm. in the books he's he's sort of in this thing with envy adams right he, they're a couple right they're a couple and she's mm-hmm. like literally bowing to him like the all-powerful envy adams the destroyer of scott pilgrim the girl who literally like had so much power and influence with clash you know clash of demon head that like is all of a sudden like bowing to Gideon and he's mm-hmm. so awful to her and it makes me mm-hmm. feel like you I also love that you start to feel more empathy and sympathy for envy you see her mm-hmm. flaws you see where she dated Scott she was a nerdy girl she they they got along and then she left in this fight to become something else right and you also learn more that Scott like she yes she ultimately is the destroyer of Scott Pilgrim but Scott Pilgrim's not innocent either. Mm-hmm. And that's an issue he has to work on throughout the story. I love how Brie Larson plays Envy Adams. I was trying to figure it out more recently, like why she talks the way that she does and she does these little mannerisms. And I was like, oh, she is playing a very like hyper, like hyperbo- hyperbolic version of a femme fatale. Yeah, she is. The and femme- that's the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, like, the persona as Envy Adams. And then, although we don't get as much character development in the movie as we do the comic books, I love when he calls her Natalie. Nat. Yeah. yeah, and she's like, oh, yeah, people used to call me that. And it's really hard to go from this one extreme and then just so quickly to shift into this, like, you see her as this, like, small, quiet, more reserved individual whose boyfriend was just headbutt into coins. Oh, yeah, he exploded into coins. Which, yeah. he's even worse in the books, uh, let me tell you. Because uh, you only see her briefly, but they have a drummer who has a robotic arm. Right. And in the novels, they're hooking up, Todd and the drummer. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I hook- didn't know that. I know that she's the one who punches the highlights out of Knives' hair. Yes, yeah, she punches the highlights out of Knives' hair. We gotta protect Knives at all costs. Always, Knives is the best. Ellen Wong. Ellen Wong appreciation moment. We just have like She's a whole amazing. week where we just give all our love. We just gush about every, Ellen Wong. Every, every post is about Knives and Ellen Wong. Yeah, yeah, we'll just do all of the uh, promotion for this episode. It's just mostly going to be Ellen Wong as Knives Chow. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, but I think the only reason that they had him punch her in the movie... Which is, you know, obviously upsetting for multiple reasons, um, is because it incites the duel. Yeah, it incites the yeah. duel and it paints the picture clearly. Like, what the movie does really well is it does take very specific moments and apply them to inform the audience of the character. Like, 
when you have the graphic novel, you can see the dynamic of Todd and the and the drummer hooking up and seeing how bad of a guy he is. But mm-hmm. with limited time in a movie, you switch it around, you make Todd punch the highlights out of Knives Hair, you now get mm-hmm. all that information immediately. It's And I think that's what I love about Edgar Wright. He's very brilliant at giving these very visual cues of exposition. It's like you don't need it explained. You don't need five minutes to get what you can have in like a few seconds right exactly and (laughs) i keep thinking about aubrey plaza as julie oh god julie and and the way around the you get one f word for every pg-13 movie is that they purposely bleep it out and they put a little bar over her mouth and then they even acknowledge it in the film and they're like why are you doing that and she's like never mind how i'm doing that okay she, I love Aubrey Plaza, and she's perfect for this role, but God, do I hate Julie. You know what's funny right. is it really does capture, and I was listening to a podcast that talked about this movie, and they put up Grell, and it made me laugh. It's funny. I think most friend groups know, know a Julie. Everybody's got a Julie. And it's like, God, why do we hang out with Julie? Well, it's like, because she's throwing the party. Why do yeah, we hang exactly. out with this person? Because she's friends with the person that you really want to hang out with. It's like, why, why do you like this person? Why is she here? Yeah, and it's like, oh, now she's hooking up with the lead singer of your band. God damn it. Julie, yeah. why are you here? You do yeah. nothing but cause me misery. I love when she's talking to Envy Adams, and she's like, oh my god, are you guys like, you guys are so big now. Like, you played with the Pixies. What was that like? And then at the beginning of hipster culture and that sort of apathy and acting like you're really cool and you're too cool for things, I love Envy's response, and she's like, it's, uh... Not really something I can put into words. It's like such a perfect <laughs> response. I can put into words. Oh my god, <laughs> she is. Whew. And then, um, wow. <sighs> I think now would be a good time to mention that, like, there are obviously some jokes that don't age very yes. well in this movie. I, I, that, that's my one criticism of it. Other than like the things that I want from the characters. Yes. aren't available in the movie but are available in the comic books is that um, there are some jokes that just don't age well in this. Yeah. Um, including the one that I think in the movie Ramona says it to Gideon, but I think in the books Envy says it to Todd, right? When she kicks him in the balls? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, because yeah. that's when she find, Envy finds out Todd is cheating and she hits him in the nuts and says, let's both be girls now. Right. And in the movie so, Ramona does it to Gideon. Right. So there are definitely some jokes that feel a little dated. Like, at the point that um, Scott's about to, I think Scott either did just fight Roxy or they're about to fight. And he's like, oh, I have, like, I fought this ex, I fought that ex. And you can see he's getting a little bit fatigued from these fights. He says to her, like, who in this party haven't you slept with? Oh, yeah. And that hurt a lot. I mean, I know it was supposed to be a painful moment when you first see it, but, like, now it feels especially harsh. And um, the thing is, if that moment is sort of cured. Like, he's checked in his place by Stacy when she's, like, not maybe not date the girl with 11 exes, and he's, like, seven. And she's, like, oh, only seven? Oh, that's not so that's bad. That's not so bad. Yeah, so I love that moment. I yeah. love when she's, like, it's really not that big of a deal. So there are, like, some jokes that don't age well, but other than that, I mean... The graphic novel, the only... They get... They're very liberal with the word, um... Do I just say it? Is it a famous thing? I think... 
because you're saying it in criticism of the word. Yeah, uh, they're very liberal with the use of the word retarded. Yeah, and, and like calling somebody retarded. And it was weird because we don't see that in our vernacular anymore, really. Yeah. Um. So it was like, whoa, like, okay, like, oh, that's, <laughs> this is the, this I is remember- the odds. I remember when that shift was really difficult for people. Yeah. In the same way that we're going through that shift with a lot of different things now. You can figure it out. Like, it eventually, yeah. you know, stops being a thing that people will say. But at this time, people really struggled with not using that word. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to talk about <laughs> when my favorite line in the movie is, they have a girl drummer. Yeah. Yeah. And then Matthew Patel comes in. Crashing the boys. And he sings his song. Crashing the boys. Who have... Is that girl a boy too? And then she just flips him off. Yeah. Crashing the boys. What a what a group. They show back up again in the third book. Oh really? They yeah, they they actually help Scott fight Todd. Mm-hmm. Oh great. Yeah. They still Perfect. they still have the girl drummer. Yeah. But now they're not playing with instruments. Right. They're playing with like Nintendo Power Gloves. Yeah. So fun. Yeah, I just, I think that, um, I think part of the reason also that this movie didn't do well is just this sort of style, this sort of intense style. Either you loved it or you just, yeah. it just did nothing for you. We can have a whole, like you said, we can have a whole think piece about why this movie didn't do well. And I have some yes. theories. I remember I loved it immediately. I saw it opening day, August 13th. This is 10 years ago. Jesus Christ. 10 years ago, Tom. 10 years ago on a date. Wow. Yes. When we can be in a movie theater or hang out with a bunch of people in a public space. Yeah. And I remember one of my, at the time, he's still going strong. My favorite YouTuber, (laughs) Philip DeFranco. He oh, yeah. loved this movie and was saying that people need to see it, but was even saying that it's not surprising that a lot of people didn't go see it. His reasoning, and I think a lot of people's reasoning, is that the targeted demographic just couldn't afford to go to the movies. Good point. Which I think there's a little truth to that, but not enough, because eventually these yeah. same audience goers will pull money to go see the Avengers. Right. Speaking of the demographic, I think... That's why the people who did go see it really loved it, who who did enjoy it, because we were at that age where we were starting to go into adulthood and maybe we weren't ready for it in the same way that Scott wasn't ready for it. Yeah, and yeah. I think um, this movie has long since made its money back. It is still celebrated. It was critically well-received. It right. has garnered so much DVD and Blu-ray sales. Like, the, the I bought the vinyl. For this fucking movie. I love this movie. Can we talk about the soundtrack right now? This movie. Yes. Let's talk about the soundtrack. Let's talk about the soundtrack. I love it so much. Uh, also, fun fact. I mean, everyone who's... Anyone who knows anything about Scott Rhythm is going to know this. But the the main character's name named after a song by um, by uh, Plumtree, which Scott Pilgrim wears the shirt in the movie and the books. Oh, I didn't know that's why they... They did that. Yeah, the song is, it's from a while ago. I don't remember Uh when. I don't know much about the band, but you know the song. It's, uh, I'll fight you for a thousand years, a thousand years. I thought it was, I've loved you for a thousand years, or I've liked you for a thousand years. I think the lyrics do change. I think it might be both. Because the whole idea, he's, (laughs) Brian Lee O'Malley was like, I want to write about the guy who pissed off these women. 
Oh, no, it's, um, I've liked you for a thousand years. Oh, okay, I'm Because wrong. that's, that's what I love about this song now more than when the, the album first came out. I think that this song is one of the unsung heroes of the album because it's so convincing and the lyrics are only, like, five stanzas long. Yeah. And one of them's just, yeah, and <laughs> that's it. <laughs> songs and did the songs for sex babam oh, that's amazing uh, michael sarah knew how to play bass before the movie so he was fine mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. allison pill never played drums before <laughs> never and then played. she learned how to play drums for the movie right yes uh mark weber stephen stills also did mark not know weber. how to play guitar either i that's him singing right that's yes, really him that, is, singing. that is actually I... him singing I love his singing voice. Yeah. I don't know why. I find it, it's just smoky enough. Yeah. But it's not trying too hard. I love Mark Webber's singing voice. Who else? We have a, a bunch of people on this soundtrack. We have... Uh... Oh, crossover between Manic Pixie Dream Girl movies. Uh-oh. I just realized this today. I've listened to this album for 10 years, right? Yeah. I had no idea until I started listening to all of these albums all at the same time but both the 500 days of summer album and this album have a song by black lips on it really yeah on the 500 days of summer album it has the song bad kids yeah and on this one it's oh katrina um beck did so much for this movie soundtrack and beck is also on the eternal sunshine soundtrack nice and also Frank Black, which is one of the names that the lead singer of the Pixies uses for his solo work. Nice. And on the 500 Days of Summer album, they have Here Comes Your Man, originally a Pixie song. Nice. Should we also discuss discuss the inspiration behind The Clash at Demon Head? Yes, let's talk about that. You probably know yeah. more than I do about that. I read a little um, bit about it. Go ahead. I don't remember. You do your thing first. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, The Clash of Demon Head is yes. inspired by the Canadian pop rock band, uh, the indie pop rock band, Metric. Oh, and that makes sense. Yeah, think, yeah. Why didn't I think about this? Yeah, that, it's inspired by, like, her, her whole style, Envy Adams, is inspired by Emily Haynes from Metric. That makes, yeah, because they were, they were actually, like, fairly involved in the production, I believe. Yeah, and uh, so I, I knew about Metric before this movie came out, because yes, I was did. listening to Stars at this point, and Stars is kind of in the same genre as Metric. Yeah. 
Uh, but I didn't really listen to them myself until afterwards. So I was like, okay, I'm going to give them a shot. And they had released an album at the time called Help I'm Alive. And okay. to me, that's still my favorite album by them. I know a lot of people would say to listen to their other stuff. And uh, because of this movie, Emily Haynes starts showing up in more mainstream music. She does a song yeah. with Tiesto called mm -hmm. Knock You Out. That's really great. That's um, rad. And she also, she has this uh, voice range that I really love, which is contralto. It's the lowest range. It's the lowest, like, vocal register that a female singer can reach. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, and it's funny because when I think of contralto, I think of somebody a lot deeper. So, like, Amy Winehouse and Fiona mm -hmm. Apple, Apple uh, have the contralto singing voice, but then also Emily Haynes does too. And it's a much breathier, softer version of it. Um, they're great. They're a great band. If you yeah. haven't listened to them, you should check them out, guys. Now, controversial question. Yeah. Is the metric version of the song Black Sheep better or the Evil X's version? Because that uh, is, I realize that is a bigger debate. You should, you should screenshot my reaction to this question. Because <laughs> I hate this question so much. Because it is difficult. Yeah, I'm like, grinding my teeth at it really yeah because i i love both of them so much and i feel like we have to choose and i i just don't know i like brie larson's voice a lot in it but also like there is such a clear professionalism from metric coming in and being like well we're just gonna handle this shit yeah i think yeah. i think definitely when the movie came out i was a bigger fan of the of the X's version, the Brie yeah. Larson song version. Oh no! Hello again, friend of a friend. I knew you were. I come and go, was waiting for the world to end. But Metric, what a band. Like, Jesus Christ, that song is... I love that song. Yeah, and Emily Haynes is so cool. Like, her style and all of the music videos, the, the style that inspired Envy Adams' style. It's just, it's awesome. So, yeah, I, it's a hard pick. I think I'm going to go with Metric. I have to go okay. with Metric. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I'm offending one or the other. Like, Either Brie Larson will find out or Emily Haynes will find out that I chose one. I can't. Um, I can't choose. Um, I will specifically send out a voice memo to Brie Larson. And <laughs> I know her. She will listen. Yeah. She'll be like, you don't like Captain Marvel and my version of the song? How dare you? Yeah. Uh, I, I love Brie Larson. I know we talked about this a lot when we, we went to the did. beach. We did. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of unnecessary hate towards Brie Larson. I think she just wants to do her job and live her life. Yeah, I love uh, I wow. Uh, I love Brie Larson. Yeah, I've always have. She is um, obviously everyone talks about Room, which was fantastic, but even Short Term Twelve, I loved her in that movie. That was such a emotional and dynamic performance mm -hmm. for a very complicated story. Have you ever seen it? 
No, I haven't. I, I saw her in United States of Terra before Scott Pilgrim. All right. And I liked her in that a lot. Yeah. But I've never seen Short Term 12. It's a it's a great movie. Uh, yeah, you've mentioned it a lot. Yeah. I yeah. mentioned Brie Larson a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted but, to be Envy Adams for a Halloween. That'd be so great. That would we be should fantastic. do like a... Well, when when Halloween exists again, when Halloween opens back up, we should do like a role reversal or... I could also be Kim Pine. I do love Kim. Oh, Kim's great. Can we also talk about um? Just the soundtrack. I'm just looking at it now, and I want to put yeah. it on. Broken social scene. I the do Rolling not, Stones. I do not like broken social scene. I know that they're popular amongst like the indie twee. Yeah. Scene. I just have a thing. I, I I'm not a big fan. Right, that's fine. Yeah. That's yeah. Fine. No, no it's it's a here. greatly curated album. This kind of starts off, I mean, we know by now we get to Baby Driver, Mm -hmm. and we see Edgar Wright's vision and bringing music into it as an element of storytelling. There was a a fun rumor that used to spread around, and I want to be the first to debunk it, but it is kind of a cool thing to talk about. Knowing that Ryan Lee O'Malley is a huge fan of Smashing Pumpkins, people used to think like, oh, maybe if you play... The movie alongside the Smashing Pumpkins album uh, Infinite Sadness that mm-hmm. it would align. Uh, I'm here to say for the record that it does not. <laughs> it does not at all. There's just uh, confirmed biases and some elements of the movie that work along with that song, but it's mm-hmm. not. Edgar Wright had his own vision, and you can see in the soundtrack and the work with Beck just how much work was put into this. Uh, aligning it with aligning it with that album did not come to mind at all for them i did really get into blood red shoes after this too oh yeah that They're song so is fun. great it's so great their music is all like it's that. getting boring by the sea by blood red shoes yeah fantastic so we have a few things that we need to do yes. uh one we need to add a couple of songs to the alternative music trends yes two we are going to rate our Manic Pixie Dream Girls, and also our sad boy protagonist oh, okay. from the movie series. Yes. Three, ask the question. All right. I have my Four. Emerging Trends page open now. And then I also have um, I have a surprise for you. you. What'd you do? That, well, I, let's do the music emerging trends okay. first, and then I'm going to tell okay, you. Okay, okay. All right, so what song do we add to the emerging trends? What song from the soundtrack? I think the thing that got the biggest out of this was Black Sheep by Metric. Yes. So we could add that. And then I think we also just need to add a song by Sex Bob-omb. Uh Threshold? Yeah, that one became the bigger one, even though Garbage Truck is my favorite. I love Garbage Truck. I'll be your garbage I love when man. he says... I love when he says, like... Cause you're my queen. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, okay, so I'm looking up the lyrics to Black Sheep right now, even though I have them up. I feel like if we sang it, I'd just start singing all the lyrics. Hello again, friend of, friend of a friend. A friend. I knew you when. Dun, 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 dun. That song, that scene, so perfectly captures how uncomfortable it is. For you and your current partner to run into 
two of your exes. Like, both of you are seeing an ex, and you're both uncomfortable with yeah, it. Yeah, and one of those exes yeah. destroyed him. Yes, yeah. Um, okay, so, I'm looking at the lyrics. Uh, should we read some of them out loud? Yes. Hello again, friend of a friend. I knew you when. Our common goal was waiting for the world to end. Now that the truth is just a rule that you can bend. You crack the whip, shape shift, and trick the past again. Send you my love on a wire lift you up every time everyone who pulls away it's a mechanical roll but number one you'll take a ride from anyone everyone wants a ride pulls away from you what do you think that this one is um hmm It's not about the person themselves being a garbage person, but it's somebody's no. being a garbage person. I kind of want to go with, and maybe it's like the context of the whole story of Scott Pilgrim, but I, I kind of want to go with um, self or mutual destruction in love. Yes, you know what? That is the answer. I should have thought about that first. Just because of like the context of the song in the movie and the scene that this song was written for and just like the the anger yeah that comes with singing the song yeah i agree yeah all right that's where it goes okay cool and now threshold by sex bubbums I love it. We are Sex Bob-omb and we're here to make you think about death and get sad and stuff. I'm hearing voices. This is the beginning of the song. <laughs> Animal noises. The creme de la creme, the feminine abyss, and I'm reaching my threshold staring at the truth till I'm blind. Uh, not okay. I think it has to be not okay, right? Definitely. Definitely. I love them. My body's stupid, stereo putrid, just great rhyming. Spilling out music into raw sewage. Yeah. Only Beck would have weird-ass lyrics like that, and it somehow work and capture a feeling. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. We we did forget to mention the 10-year anniversary. So I, I want to, maybe we'll just do, like, our favorite thing from that, okay. since we're kind of coming to the end of our episode. Um, what was your favorite thing from the 10 year anniversary? Um, I love, I mean, it was just fantastic to see all the, almost everyone from the movie reunited reading their scripts. Um, the amount of just even Brendan Ralph dressing up as Todd. Yeah. yeah. Chris Evans being there with his dog. I love when Brandon Routh dies as Todd Ingram, but then, like, he does show up in costume again for playing the hipster bodyguards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ella Wong putting on such a performance. 
Yeah, she really brings you immediately back into, like, Toronto, Canada. Yeah. For the Scott Pilgrim movie. I think movie. just yeah. honestly watching that 10-year anniversary thing, I was shocked that I watched the whole thing. I thought it would just be a funny, like, watch some of the bits. But I watched the whole thing. Watched yeah. it all from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, I It was so good. And it, it is so nice. I think the thing that you were touching on is that you can see all of the love for this movie still. All of these people who have gone on to become huge like huge superheroes and huge franchises have successful tv shows and they're still here to be a part of this thing and they all clearly love it just the same yeah Yeah, um that was so great to see and also the thing was like we kind of got a little bit of a resolution between knives and ramona yeah from the 10-year anniversary that we don't really get in the movie Yeah, so I, I like that at the end of the movie, at the end of the reading, Brian Lee O'Malley does a drawing where Knives and Ramona leave the wreckage of the Chaos Theater hugging and making amends. And I think that that, if it were made in today's time, that's that's what would happen. Oh, yeah. And it... Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful moment. That That is one, that will lead to one of the, the third question. That'll lead to the third yes. question. Do you want to start with the second question? That was the second thing. Oh, that was the second thing? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, oh, wait, no. No, you're right. You're right. I just remember that we had to mention the 10-year anniversary. Okay. You're right. Rewind. Let's do the second okay. thing. We have to... We, this is the end of our Manic Pixie Dream Girl series. Yes, it is. It is time to rate our protagonist sad boys and our Manic Pixie Dream Girls. Okay. Uh... We rating all of them from best to worst. We'll do like best to worst for the guys and then best to worst for the leading ladies. All right. So I will start with the worst. Um, the worst is Orlando Baylor. He is the worst. He's just, he's privileged to the 10th degree. No reason to be so, he makes a murder bike. I don't understand him. Right, and he's not even, like, upset because his dad died, no. and he didn't get to spend that much time with, with him because he worked on a failed project. He's more upset about the failed project. Yeah. And that all of this grieving and family stuff is getting in the way of his murder bike. <laughs> uh, second worst. Hmm. It's hard because I do understand what happens, and I get him by the end, but... Maybe Thomas from 500 Days of Summer. Tom G.L. Tom G.L. Uh, then I will go with uh, Zach Braff in Garden State. Scott Pilgrim, because he learns his lesson, he comes around. But but Joel, he is my favorite. Aww. Joel's my favorite. Joel. Uh, I thought you were going to pick Scott. No, because he's still a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> I love oh, when he's facing off Lucas Lee and he gets him to ride the skateboard and he's like, wow, wow, wow. And then they just cut it there. Wow. Um, for the girls, we rate the, we're going to mm-hmm. go in order of our favorite, best, worst, the best. Uh, the worst. Okay. Uh, I don't even remember. Eliz- is What's her name in Elizabeth? Claire. Claire. She's the worst. She's non-existent. She's not a person. 
and it's sad. She is the worst. It's like, okay. Um, second worst. Um, hmm. Uh, honestly, not because I hate her, but because she doesn't have as much of an individual character. Uh, Natalie Portman's character from Garden State. Hmm. That's number four? That's number four. Okay. Then I will go number three. number three i'm having a hard time with this you did claire sam claire sam uh you've got summer ramona and clementine summer Lilla. summer's three okay uh clementine and then and then ramona flowers ramona's your number ramona's one number one okay i i i could see yeah that makes sense to me yeah okay I'm gonna go. I'll also start with the boys. Yeah. Um, with the sad boys. Sad boy summer. So, we we've been talking about this quite a bit. I can't decide, um, if Orlando Baylor is worse or if Tom Hansen is worse. Uh, Tom Hansen's um, more dangerous. Yes, even dangerous. though Orlando Baylor has a murder yeah. bike, it's obviously falling apart. Nobody should be that afraid of the murder bike because yeah. it's not even sticking together. No wonder he's a failed inventor. His murder bike fell apart. Because <laughs> murder bike fell apart. Um, I think I'm gonna put Tom Henson last. Fair, I agree. And um, I'm gonna put him last because he destroys worlds. Once he's broken up with. Yeah. And we yeah. talk about it briefly with Scott versus, like, when you put Scott up against Thomas. Uh, mm -hmm. Thomas, he does improve himself, but he still has his bitter rage and anger. And he's not, there's no sense of self-awareness of what he did wrong or that he is a, he has to be accountable for his behavior. Whereas Scott mm -hmm. does understand that. He does gain the power of self-respect and learns that he has to make amends with people and be held accountable for his actions. I love when Bill Hader is... I love that Bill Hader is narrating Scott Pilgrim and he's like, Scott earned the power of self-respect. Yeah. He's so great. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm actually going to say Tom Hansen is worse yes. just because he does put all of his focus, all of his eggs into the one basket of love. Mm-hmm. And all the, although the end of the movie, you could maybe think that he's learned from it, there's no clear way of telling. No. Yeah. And then I'm going to say Orlando Baylor is fourth just because although his priorities are completely warped, at least he has priorities other than falling in love. Yeah. He's yeah. not as dangerous. Yeah. Um... I'm struggling with the two in between ones. Um, I think I'm gonna put Scott three. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, just because um, he like makes some bad choices. Yes, he does. Yeah, and then um, I'm gonna put Andrew number two and Joel number one. Joel's the best. Oh, we agree on that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my list is Joel's number one, then Zach Braff is Andrew, Scott Pilgrim, Orlando Baylor, and then uh, Tom Hansen. And then let's do, I'm going to do best 
for girls first and then go down. Okay. Um, Clementine is obviously my favorite. Fair. She's always, always going to be my favorite. Okay. I'm going to say Summer second. Hmm. All right. Because she does actually have some autonomy and some agency and doesn't just go with whatever the lead guy wants to go with. I think she also gets stuck with the worst guy. Yeah, she gets stuck with the worst. Yeah. And then Sam 3. Okay. Uh, I did quote her from my high school yearbook quote. Yes. Yeah, so I do love some of the things that she said. Um, I'm going to say Ramona 4th because we don't get that much time with her and her growth in the movie. Okay. And then 5th is Claire from Elizabeth Town. Yeah. 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 I like these lists. Yeah. There you have it, guys. There's our list of uh, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl series. It's the official list. Uh, if yes. you disagree, I don't care. It's uh, it's an, it's up to what you feel. Yeah, it's your choice. Yeah. <laughs> and now for the, But ours is official. Yeah, the last question. <laughs> okay. Last question. Yes. Do you think that Scott Pilgrim would be as successful today? Or do you think it would work now in 2020 mm. rather than 2010? If you had asked me this like four or five years ago, I'd say it would have performed better. But now mm. I think it won't. It wouldn't as a movie, but as a series, it would do phenomenally. You're allowing more of these characters to be fleshed out, more of these stories to be told i think as a movie in 2020 when we've seen it all we've you know we've gotten so fulfilled with a lot of pop culture and we've seen the evolution of you know expectations from gender and what we perceive as gender and also sexuality yeah and too. sexuality yeah. i think that like not that the movie is offensive in any means you can watch it today and it still have the same enjoyment and love but from scratch original movie released today would not do as well i think it would only do like i said well as a new series where you can get all these stories you can get mm. like one of my favorite characters isn't in the movie no she's in the movie as a mention she's not in the oh, lisa miller lisa miller is like my favorite one of my favorite characters who plays a pivotal role in exposing one of scott's flaws she's the reason that she's like She's his first friend in high school. And then they're in a band together with Kim. And mm -hmm. she plays the role of somebody that's like the somewhat, you know, like the viewing your past and seeing what could have been, but like respecting who you are as an adult and moving beyond that. It's a good character that just, um, you know, not be, no fault of the movie itself. It's just you don't have time to explore that. When you have seven exes, you got to mm -hmm. fight. Right, exactly. And I think also that's that's part of the thing. That's when, uh, in the comic books, that's when you see Ramona get a little bit jealous. And I think that's what's missing for the chemistry in the movie, yeah. is that you don't see a lot of Ramona fighting for Scott in the way that he does for yeah. her in the movie. Also, there's yeah. a lot better of a resolve between Scott and Kim. And then Kim becomes, like, really good friends with Ramona. And that's, like... There's really, I I guess that's what I love about reading these books is that it's been so long since I read them that even though I've watched the movie, it doesn't feel like I'm doing the same thing again. It's like a brand new thing. I'm seeing a whole bunch of different dynamics in these characters. 
So it was a lot of fun, but I would love to see that like done visually. Like even as mm-hmm. an animated series, you could maybe bring back all the, the talent as voice actors because then they don't have to show up on screen. And right. I would love, I love the animations. I would love to see a cartoon of this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just thinking of Allison Pill as Kim and it's just so good. Brilliantly, yeah. I love when she's like, you should go talk to her. Okay, and I really don't care. <laughs> yeah. she, her deadpan delivery throughout this entire movie is like A++++. Um, I, I completely agree with you. I think where we are in like entertainment, it, it's much better for something different than just a movie. Yeah. Okay, now for the surprise. Okay, show me the surprise. Okay, well, I don't really know if I can show you. I can split screens, uh, I can share screens with you, but... There is a company okay. called Adagio Teas. All right. And I, I don't think I completely understand it, but from what I gather, people can sign in, make accounts, and then create their own blends of the teas that Adagio Teas provides. All right. And somebody made a Scott Pilgrim collection of teas. What? Yes. And they're pretty spot on. And some of them you just can't get again. They're done. Really? They're sold out. Okay. Yeah. So the Katayanagi twins one is completely sold out. So is Todd Ingram's. Oh, no. But they... So basically, this one person, this one person who signed in, her name is Carly Caras. She made a Scott Pilgrim collection, and you can get the teas, and all of the images for the Tetons are something for that character. So, like, the Wallace Wells one, which sounds really, really good. It is a blend of chocolate chip, Assam Melody, and passion fruit. And it's just a picture of Wallace's bulge in his uh, shorts. That's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, and then you've got Ramona Flowers. It's a picture of her hammer. And it's almond, cinnamon, and blackberry. There's also, let's see, I mean, they have one for every single character, which is really great. Um, The one that I really want to try is the Kim Pine, which is a picture of drumsticks and the sex bomb symbol. And that's ginger cream and rubose vanilla and chai. That sounds amazing. Yeah. So I'm going to send you the link to these teas. Please do. Yes. Yes. um, They're so cute. They're perfect, and I love that uh, people can just sort of sign in and make whatever tea blends they would like to make. So there's a lot of different fandoms and a lot of different tea series based on what pop culture thing you That's like. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And then um, we're going to add a new segment at the end of our show. Yes. Yes. Weekly Obsessions. Weekly Obsessions. Tom. Do you have something that you've been loving lately? Um, what have you been into? What's your thing? Records. Records. I purchased from Discogs um, the Misfits Walk Among Us on cassette. I love the cool. album art from that. It's got this cool, like, you know, punkish, purple, black and white look to it. Uh, it's a great album. And then I got um, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World on vinyl. And I've just been obsessively listening to both these things. At the same time. Not at the same time. That's weird. That that would sound terrible. <laughs> I love the Misfits. Um, not a super fan of the hyper overcompensating masculinity of 
Glenn Danzig. He's a short Italian man and feels he has to make up for it. Sure. What uh, what does the Scott Pilgrim vinyl look like? I feel like that'd be a fun color or something. It or is, is it pretty standard? No, it's beautiful. It's it's like cherry red. Ooh. With the with the nice like drum symbol in the middle, Scott Pilgrim of the world, and it has the list the track lists on it. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh yeah, I'll send. I'll put a picture on my Instagram and share it with the with the thing with the with the remember the ox page. Yeah. And then um, I have been listening to. I just found her today. Um, apparently, Bill Lawrence and Krista Miller, uh, the creator and one of the stars of Scrubs, they have a daughter who is making music, and she's so talented. She's only 20 years old, and uh, formerly known as Dixie Chicks, the Chicks, okay. uh, actually purchased the rights to one of her songs. Really? That's awesome. Yeah. So, like, you're 20 years old and you find out that this long-standing female band in pop culture wants to play one of your songs. And she has this really great song that's very Billie Eilish-esque, but also a little bit different. It's called Why Do You Love Me? And I'm just amazed of the sort of mature songwriting that is coming out of this 20-year-old. That's a per- so. That's beautiful. Her name is Charlotte Lawrence. Check her out. Cool. All right. That's our episode, and that's the end of our series. That's the end, guys. Tune in soon. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been a journey. I've loved a lot of things. I've hated some things, but it was fun. Yes, there were a lot of cringeworthy things coming back to a series that I grew up loving, so I'm glad we were able to revisit this. Thank you. Yes. Please be sure to check us out on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Google, wherever podcasts are just find it just find it download it those are those are the places where people are listening to them anyway you can't find it on cassette so. but maybe i'll try no <laughs> i was gonna say we should do something special for like episode 10 because we're like oh 10 episodes and then i realize it's the elizabeth town episode we are not gonna do something special for elizabeth town no never forget that bye Thanks, guys. All right, see you later. Oh, follow us on Instagram. Yeah. Remember the aughts. Remember the 00S podcast. We'll post lots of funny little memes there. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Okay. Peace. Everything does suck. Or does it? Hello? Oh, hey, knives. What's that? You're outside? I just got here. Uh, you know what? He just left. Really? Yeah. Sorry.